0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Some of the things we've looked at over the last few weeks aren't necessarily disciplines. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at communion, which isn't a discipline. It's an ordinance. It's a sacrament. But it's a way that God um, tunes us to sing his grace and know his goodness. And today, we're going to look at another discipline, generosity. Generosity. If you have a Bible, you can open to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1. Um, Many of you know I was gone last week and had the opportunity to teach at a a junior high camp in California, and I got an email from a friend that said, I hope you enjoyed your vacation. I wrote them back and said, thanks for volunteering for our next junior high camp. So it was great, it was exhausting, it was fun. Um, It wasn't vacation, but it was uh, great to see many students make a profession of faith in Jesus for the first time and uh, many to rededicate their lives. So thank you for giving me uh, the time to do that. I, I was following a little bit when I was there, the traffic jams that have been happening on i-70, and um, so some of your neighbors who normally sit next to you are up in the mountains right now, and they're going to be trying to get back, and on um, the over under on how long it's going to take them is about eight hours. So why? You are wise to stay down in the lowlands for a little while. Um, I mean, can you imagine? If you have kids, if you're sitting in the car for eight hours, I mean, after three hours, you're running out of goldfish, and it's mutiny in the back seat, you know? I mean, you're just throwing diapers back there. Change yourself, you know? Um, eight hours in a van on I-70. I mean, it's just crazy. And so these people are, are they're just creeping along at a pace that I could run faster than, and I'm not running too fast right now. And so, I mean, they are just creeping down the mountain, and I saw those pictures, and I started to wonder, you know, how many of our, our lives of faith look the same way? Uh, how many of us, and if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, maybe this resonates with you. If you're, if you're not, um, we hope you meet Jesus today because we think he's awesome. But for many of us, I think in our lives of faith, we feel like that often, don't we? Where, where it just feels sort of like a traffic jam. Like, God, I, I want to I grow, and I want to walk more in the fullness of joy that you've designed me for, and I want to do this and that, and then it just feels like we're stuck. And, and in many ways, like that road up in the mountains, it seems like there's only one way, uh, but I want to invite you this morning to hear one of the off-ramps from a life of sort of just normal faith that God gives us in the scriptures. I want to invite you to to maybe explore some inner dimensions of your heart as we look at his word that could open up some dynamics that he's inviting you to, to walk more and live more in the fullness of his goodness and his grace to you. I'm starting with this conviction this morning. Would you look up at me for just a second? So here's our conviction. Everything God's given us in his word. Every command he's given, every invitation he's given, every parable he's told is designed to free us to walk more in the fullness of the way that he designed us to live. Everything he asks of us is ultimately for his glory and for our joy. Those two things are completely and wholly intertwined. So we're going to talk about something difficult this morning. We're going to talk about money. Okay? So many of you just went, hey, come on, Pastor, do no. And it is, it's a difficult topic to breach and bring up. If you don't believe me, at the next dinner party you're at, just, why don't you just say, hey, I have an idea, let's everybody just go around and and say how much they make on an annual basis. Starting with the guy at my left, here we go, You, you won't get invited back, I promise. And you're probably thinking, right now, I'm not inviting Paulson over, he's not coming to our party And you know what, there's a lot of, I I think there's a lot of fear in talking about that subject because finances are so intricately connected to who we are. I mean, you think about money, you think about money and all the different things that it determines, you know, it's one of the top three stressors that most families have. It's one of the top few reasons that divorces happen, fights about money. Um, It determines, in large part, what we wear. It determines where we live sometimes. For some people, it determines why they live. So you can see why it's a subject that's so dicey, and yet, I don't think I'd serve you well as your pastor if I didn't tell you the Bible has a lot to say about our finances. In fact, Jesus taught about it more than he taught about heaven and hell combined. And unfortunately... The church, capital C, big church, universal church, hasn't done a great job of modeling what it looks like to be good stewards of the money that God entrusts. In fact, you hear a message like this. You hear a pastor who wants to talk about money, and immediately you start to think, all right, you're going to ask me to give more. You're going to ask me to to, to tithe more. You're going to ask me. You're going to tell me we're at a deficit, and you need me to step up. Here's the thing. We're doing okay as a church financially, okay? Okay? We could be doing better, we could be doing a lot worse, we're doing fine. This isn't about that, okay? This is not about that. This is about a central core way that God has uniquely wired us as followers of Christ, one, as people, two, it's in our DNA. He designed us to be generous people. He designed us to be generous people. And if we don't, if we can't be generous, now, now generous, this context, the context of this passage is generous with our money, but it's more than generous with our money. It's generous with even our emotions. It's generous with our time. It's generous with our resources. It's generous with the way that we volunteer or invest. It's generous, period, not just money. Because we can be really generous with our money and be really stingy with never letting people ever get to know us. And I don't think that that's what God intends. See, he's invited us to a life of generosity. And so I wanna invite you to study this with me this morning from the scriptures. I'm gonna lay some uh, groundwork in Matthew, and then we're gonna jump to that passage I had you open to. But here's what Jesus says about the power of money in Matthew chapter six, verse 19. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in, and steal. So he says, Here's, there's 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 a few things you can do with your resources. Even I would say I would say time. I would say energy, money. There's things you can do. You can invest them here and now in the earth, and eventually the stuff you invest in ends up in your driveway at a garage sale you have, right?" And he goes, "You can you can do that, but he says, but." There's a better way to live. But lay up for yourselves, or store up, as some translations will say, treasure in heaven. Things you value, he says, he says place them there, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. So he says, oh, there's so much better. There's so many better things that you could invest in. There's a way to live, a generous way to live that actually benefits and builds the kingdom and stores up for you treasure there. We'll talk about that in a moment. Four. So his command is um, invest your life and your stuff and your time and your energy and your money in things that really matter. Four. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he says, hey, you can find out where you're leading your affection and where you're leading your heart and where you're leading your focus by the places that you put your money now, this goes both directions, I think. I think our heart in many ways determines what we invest in, whether it's us or whether it's something other than us. But I think it goes the opposite way, too, where the things we put our our affection on, our heart on, they determine the health of our soul. So... As we broach this difficult, admittedly very difficult subject, can I encourage you, please don't tune God's word out. Please don't tune it out because he wants to tune your soul, tune your heart as we look at this topic of generosity. Generosity. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That was sort of foundation, introduction. Now we want to see what does God's word say through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, and something that might impact us today. Starting in verse 1, here's what God's word says. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. To us. So, I want us to wrap our hearts and our minds around this big idea this morning. And it's this, that a a posture of surrender, a posture of surrender leads to a life of joy-filled generosity. Did you catch it in verse 5? It says, Paul writes, they, the Macedonian church, they gave themselves first to the Lord. This is them saying, God, you have me, all of me. Every little piece, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then that surrender to God overflowed into a life of generosity to the people around them. So here's what Paul says. If your life belongs to God, if your life is surrendered to God, then by default, your money, your time... Your car, your house, your intellectual energy, all of it by default. If your life belongs to him, also belongs to him. And he's going to invite us to take up this this ethos, this way of living that's completely countercultural and counter to our flesh and everything that we would think would make us happy to live a life that says to God, God, you have all of me. Use me, use my stuff in any way that you please for your name and for your glory. Here's the way he reiterates what Paul does in the book of Romans. He says this, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. That's surrender. That's surrender. That's God, if I'm alive today and I am, my life and everything in it is yours. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, Paul concludes, whether we live or whether we die, we are his, we are the Lord's. Let me ask you a really honest, sort of difficult question this morning. Is that true? Is that true of you? I mean, one of the litmus tests, uh, God's word says, of a surrendered life is a generous life, an open-handed approach to the stuff God gives us. See, releasing the grip on our stuff, it actually opens up this pathway into our heart that can't be accessed any other way. Can't be accessed any other way where God says, hey, I can, now I can reach down in and I can tune and I can mold and I can shift and I can invite you to live exactly in the way that I designed you to live and deeply wired into your DNA. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors and pastors, writes this in his great book, Generous Justice. He says, a lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are really not yours, but God's. So one of the ways we say back to God, everything is yours, by saying, do with it what you please. God, do with it what you please. And so the scriptures start there. This is an invitation. I made you write down joy-filled generosity because it's so central and so core to what it means to be a follower of Christ. He's not twisting our arms. This isn't, hey, we're down on a budget and we need you to give a little bit more. This is, there's a pathway out of the path of destruction and out of the path of just sort of trudging along in life. There's a pathway and it's entitled generosity and it invites you to live in the way that God designed you to live. You know, it's interesting. As I was studying it this week, this idea of generosity, as I was studying generosity this week, I started to find all these secular um, sociologists that were studying the same thing. They found out that when we give, when we're generous, our brains actually release a chemical that makes us happier. The Atlantic Journal did an article recently that they entitled, Career Advice Give. In the summary of that article, the author, Emily Smith, says this, focus on, givers focus on others, takers on themselves, and matchers care about fairness. She concludes, studies show that most professional success, not just satisfaction, goes to givers, people who live open-handed since they they perform better in their job one and they have more joy in doing so, could it be that the way God designed us to live is generously, is generously? Well, I wanna unpack for you in a little bit more depth what Paul invites this church at Corinth to do and the way he invites them to live. He says this in verses one and two. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. Just a quick time out. Christian generosity is always, 100% of the time, a response to grace. It's a response to God's goodness. It's never a twisting of the arm. Remember, we've said all throughout this series that these disciplines oftentimes lead to guilt. That's not God's intention. That's not his design. He designed that they would lead us to growth, not guilt. So this isn't about making anybody feel guilty. I need to be more generous. I need to give more. I need to release more. It's not about that. It's about saying God has something better for us. That when we sit under the overflow of God's grace to us, it stirs generosity in our hearts. It's one of the most natural things that can happen as we know the gospel. And unfortunately, we haven't had great models of this in church. I mean, one of my favorite, least favorite examples is a man by the name of Johann Tetzel who uh, was um, high up in the Catholic Church around the early 1500s. He went around to different um, areas of uh, Europe on this quest to try to raise money to build St. Peter's Basilica. And he had this quote. And his quote was, a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So the whole point was, hey, you give so we can build this building and somebody gets sprung out of purgatory and into heaven. I mean, aside from the theological problems with that, of which there are many, Christian generosity is never intended to be heavy-handed. It's never intended to be arm-twisting. It's intended to be response to grace. So he says, for in a severe test of affliction, verse two, their abundance of joy. I mean, you try to, you you write the equation that Paul lays out here and you try to do the math. I'll just, I'll save you the time. It doesn't make sense. Okay? Because here's what you have to add together. Severe affliction plus abundance of joy, question mark, and their extreme poverty have overflowed to wealth and generosity on their part. Extreme affliction plus poverty equals joy and generosity. You figure it out. It's the grace of God. Where God's saying to them, hey, generosity is not how about how much you have, and it's not about how much you give, okay? Generosity is not about how much you have and it's not about how much you give. It's about how much of you God has access to. How much of you can I spend for my kingdom, he says. How much of you do I get to touch? Are there areas of your life that are closed off? And here's what you and I often do. Here's what I often do. I'll just put it on me. Here's what I often do. God, when things are going well, we're gonna be generous. And when things are difficult, well, we're going to look out for ourselves. Here's the invitation God gives us as we surrender our lives, and it leads us to joy-filled generosity. We see that grace allows us to see and respond to Jesus in all situations. That's what this Macedonian church did. So Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Hey, look at them. Look at this church. They're this model church. They're getting, they're getting beaten down because of their faith, quite literally. Literally. They're losing their jobs because of their faith. They're going through trials and hardships, and yet they're still saying to God, God, everything we have is yours. What do you want to do with it? What do you want to do with it? I don't know about you, but I just did my taxes. Um, We did our taxes. Well, we gathered the information to have somebody do our taxes. (laughs) Let me be honest with you. And man, I can think of a lot of reasons from 2013 why I should say to God, God, all right, let's just get get a little momentum, gather a little steam before we start to be generous, but it's not his invitation to you or me. His invitation is even when life is difficult, even when life is hard, will you see and respond to my goodness in your life with your time, with your energy, with your resources, because here, here's what he says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, with this 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is really a parallel passage to the passage we're studying today. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, God loves it when people look back to him and say, God, you've been exceedingly, abundantly good to us. Thank you. Thank you. So you'd say, well, Ryan, well, how much is generous? Are you going to tell us to, to, tell us to tithe? Well, here's the thing. The Old Testament tells you to tithe. It as, doesn't as tell you to tithe. It told Old Testament saints to tithe. The New Testament doesn't reiterate that command, doesn't. So um, actually, the principle isn't necessarily tithing, although I think that's a good start. The principle is generosity, generosity. I heard a story of a pastor friend of mine was doing a new members class, and one of the people in the new members class asked, uh, Pastor, is this a church of law or grace? Sort of a softball question for a pastor, and he responded, it's a church of grace, And he said, great, because I was afraid you were going to ask us to tithe. And the pastor said, never, I'll never ask you to tithe. And he said, oh, good. He said, yeah, no, no, we are grace over law. You see, law says don't murder, but grace says don't hate. Right? And law says don't commit adultery, but grace says don't lust. Law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But grace says, if someone hits you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. He says, I would never want to limit you to simply tithing. (laughs) You can give 20% if you want. But I think that's where the scriptures leave us. What does it look like for us as New Covenant Christians to be generous? I read about this um, church in North India, and they have this saying um, called uh, Bufai Tam, and it means one handful of rice at a time. And this little church, they developed this sort of ethos of their community back in 1914, where every meal they ate, they would just take one handful of rice and put it off to the side. And in 1914, they raised about $1.50, $1.50 from their Tithe, or whatever it was, their offering. Well, they've been doing this for the past hundred years. And last year, last year, they raised $1.5 million with the rice, the money they got from selling the rice that they put off one handful at a time. The church supports 1,800 missionaries in addition to the work that they do in their little corner of the globe. I loved what one of the church members who's participating in this says. He says, are so many ways of serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are great preachers. Some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when we talk about this handful of rice, it's very humble. The service is done in the corner of the kitchen where nobody sees, but God knows and he blesses. What a great posture. That's a posture of saying, Hey, everything we have is yours, God. Use it. Use it for your name. Use it for your glory. See, generosity is not about how much you give, it's about how much you give God access to, to allow Him to go, Hey, I want to use that for my name and for my glory. Paul continues. Verse 3 says this For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, but of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Don't you love that? It's almost comical. Hey, Paul, you forgot to take offering. Send the plates around again. I mean, they wanted so badly to give to this church, this Jerusalem church. That's a context is, there was this famine in Jerusalem, and so one of the things Paul did during this missionary journey was he raised money for these followers of Jesus who were deeply hurting and literally dying of starvation so that the churches would come together to give to the church in Jerusalem that it might be built up and that they might make much of the name of Jesus. And see, one of the invitations Paul gives us, God gives us through his word, as we're surrendered and joy-filled, generous, we find purpose that's known through participation in building his kingdom. I hope that when you give here, when you give other places, that you get a vision of all that God is doing all that God is doing here through this church and the neighborhoods that surround us in the global partners that we have in the way that this facility is used. Did you know that 29 outside organizations around Littleton use this facility every week? And part of what you give goes to keep the lights on for them and clean the carpets for them. And, and we, did you know, I think we have 27 global partners, Dan, something like 27 global partners around the globe that part of the dollar that you give into the, into the plate goes to make much of Jesus' name among the nations. I hope you find great joy in that, friend, because you are building the kingdom when you're generous. And it's not just through your finances and through the dollars that you give, but it's through the way that you sacrifice your life. And so many are faithful in the food bank that feeds about 80 families a week and gives them enough food, theoretically, to survive a week. You're an extremely, exceedingly generous church. And I just want to remind you this morning of how awesome that is because it means that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. It's in that first passage we looked at, Jesus said, don't put your finances, your money, your energy towards things that rust, but invest it in the kingdom where nothing can touch it. So here's what he said, you can't take your stuff with you when you go, but you can send it ahead in the way that you invest your stuff, your money, and your life here. I hope as you, like this church did, as they gave, they knew we're part of a bigger story. We're part of a bigger mission. God, you're doing great things and we are excited about the fact that you've invited us to partner with you to make much of your name. I love the way that 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 says it. When Paul writes this, you will be enriched in every way to be generous, right? God God builds you up to make you generous. He gives you time that you might be generous with it. He gives you emotional health so that you might be generous with it, to walk with people who are struggling. He gives you money that you might be generous with it in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What a beautiful invitation. He says that the the life he's given you and the resources he's given you can be used to make much of his name. And when you do that, you place your life right in the middle of the beautiful, breathtaking story of God. And he starts to tune your heart through that. He starts to mess with you. I mean, historically, Christians have done ridiculous things with their finances. quote-unquote ridiculous in light of... The world's idea of how to invest well to make much of his name. I love the way that Martin Luther wrote it in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress. He says, let goods and kindred go, He's just open-handed. This mortal life also, the body they might kill, God's truth abideth still, and then he reorients us to what's worth investing in, and he says, his kingdom is forever. One of the things you may not know about Martin Luther is he died an extremely poor man. And on his deathbed, he even apologized to his wife, Kate, for how much money he didn't leave her. He was so generous that on his wedding night, after he had gotten married, there was a knock on his door, somebody needing a place to stay for the night, and he invited them in. Now, I'm not suggesting it. If you're engaged, I don't suggest it, but that was his posture. God, my life is yours. Use it for your name and use it for your glory. Well, finally, Paul continues. He says this. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So Titus was the one who was receiving this offering that was gonna be delivered to Jerusalem. He pointed to the Macedonian church and said, hey, hey, here's your model. They're tearing it up. They're doing great things for the kingdom. In the midst of poverty, in the midst of affliction, they're, they're being generous. And he says, so we're gonna to continue to push you in that direction. But even as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, In all eagerness and in your love and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. This grace, it's not only a way of extending grace as we're generous to other people, but it's a way of receiving grace because as we open our hands to God, he always fills them more than we could ever give out. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others, that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Here's his last invitation to us. As we surrender and live joy-filled, generous lives, we start to have this intimacy with God that's different, that's enhanced as we imitate his sacrificial love. Will you look up at me for just a moment? There is no time in your life that you're more like Jesus than when you're generous. There's not. I mean, you think, of, you think of this story of our God who, although he was rich, he became poor, Paul says, He had everything in heaven that he'd ever want at his very fingertips, at the breath of his word. It was there. And the scriptures say that he emptied himself. He gave of himself generously to make much of his name in order that you might be invited to a salvation you could never purchase. He's given you far more than you could ever earn. And Paul simply points us back to this reality. And he says, as you sacrifice and as you love, you emulate, you paint a picture of the gospel for the world around you. So not only do you build the kingdom, not only do you walk in grace, but he says, oh, oh, oh. You start to walk in intimacy with your God because at his very core, he's generous. He's a giver. And when we live in the same way, we walk with him in a new level. So could it be that one of the reasons we're just sort of stuck, one of the reasons that faith seems like it's just inching along in our lives is because we haven't adopted that posture for God to, to say to God, God, use my life. Use my stuff. Teach me what it means to be generous, open-handed for your name and for your glory and for our joy. I want to leave with this anonymous quote. This guy anonymous, he's written a lot of great quotes over the years. (laughs) But this is one of them. There's truth here that you make a living with what you make, but you make a life with what you give. I wonder how God might open up the caverns of our soul to speak his love and his goodness and his generosity and his mercy to us as we open up to him and say, it's yours. Whatever I have, it's gift, and I give it back to you. See, being generous isn't about how much we have, and it's not about how much we give. It's about how much of ourselves we give God access to. And as we give him access, he reaches down and he tunes our heart that we might know and sing and celebrate the goodness of his grace. Man, I want it for you. I want it for us as a body. I want it for me as a follower of Jesus that we might be like Jesus and live generous lives. I don't know if there's anything that will shape you more. Would you pray with me? before we go rushing out of here and we're gonna sing our benediction together. But before we do that, I just wanna create some space for the Holy Spirit to poke around in your heart a little bit. So I'm just gonna ask some questions. Will you pray about it? And, and will you maybe, you can look up at me for just a second. Will you just open your hands like this and just hold them like this? As a, as a symbol, God, we're, we're open. What do you have for us? Jesus, uh, even right now, would you stir in us? What are the things you want us to hear? Are there ways that we have a, a grip on our things that's actually killing us and not allowing us to walk into the life that you have for us? Lord, more and more, would you teach us to be a generous people? Holy Spirit, would you stir in us right now? What does that look like this week? Maybe, maybe it's, it's buying a stranger's meal as you're waiting in line, a restaurant. Maybe, maybe it's starting to be a part of the ministry here and giving here. Maybe it's finding some of the great organizations that are around Littleton and doing just solid gospel work and partnering with them. Maybe it's volunteering some of your time. God, how do you want us to be generous people? We want to live open-handed and open-hearted. Surrendered, Lord, that we might make much of your name, King Jesus, and that we might walk in the fullness of joy that you designed us for, please. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.